and welcome to episode 349 of the Awesome Comics Podcast, the place where the small press makes one hell of a big noise. I'm Vince Hunt, writer of the Instagram comic Black, and joining me as always is the creator of the webcomic Vanguard, Dan Butcher. Hello. Now, normally there's another intro, but Tony Esmond isn't with us for this portion of the show because he's away. He's on. A, he's in a different time zone. Yeah. He dances but, to the beat of his own drum. He is in the next bit, but I'm not in the next bit. So <laughs> I hope you can get your head around that, listener. Yeah, sure you can. You're not stupid. You're listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Turn <that> back. <laughs> um, yes, uh, Tony um, is with me as we interview with our guest this week because it's a. Uh, it's a special month, isn't it, Dan? What is it? It what, is indeed. What is it, Dan? It's Manga Month. Manga. on the ACP. Yes. Um, what does that mean? It kind of means for the next four weeks, the next four shows, that's, it is four, isn't it? It's not one of those yep. five-week months, is it? Nope. Uh, for the next four shows, rather than your standard uh, talking about, you know, what we found on Comixology. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, just thinking about what that's become. Um, talking about, like, you know, occasionally... A little bit about a Marvel and DC or some indie or you know independent stuff. We're kind of focusing on the manga and Japanese comics and yes. you know, anime and all of that. Um, we've been threatening to do it for years. People have been telling us to to get stuck into it properly for years, yes, quite violently. And, <laughs> and we do. We are going to have some guests over the next few weeks to basically talk about it as the medium. Um, what comics are like in, in Japan, um, trends, genres. There's going to be um, all kinds of goodness coming up for the next four weeks. Um, mm. Especially, is it's an interesting way to look at it because all all three of us um, regular hosts um, have only dabbled in it. Yeah, in, in in it really. And I know there's lots of people listening right now that are that are already been reading it for years, um, reading it you know properly on. And certainly the Shonen Jump app and all the different, you know, you've got Akira collections and everything. Um, but we haven't. Um, Tony, Tony especially, I, I think, he's only just jumped in. I mean, he dove in the deep end, didn't he? But um, So we're only just sort of getting into Probably it. Probably getting to it. I mean, yeah, Probably. I've read bits and bobs over the years, yeah. but nothing yeah. to sort of say. It's frustrating when you you look at these titles that we've looked at and started to look yeah. at over the, the past couple of weeks and coming weeks. And you think, oh, fucking hell, we've slept on this. We've yeah. been, yeah. From, speaking of myself, I feel like I've been ignorant in a way because I think I, I made some preconception years ago about what manga was and yeah. I just fucking sat on it yeah. and thought that's what it is. And it's not. One, uh, we're full. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you fool. Um, but yes, there's so much to explore about it because I think the West, whenever you think of manga, yeah, thinking about your Ghost in the Shells, your Akira's, um, lot you know similar sort of title. I mean, pick pick one of the main titles. It's probably going to be something big in sci-fi. Mm. Um, but there's so much more to it than that. Yeah, and that's what we're going to explore over the next four weeks. Um, but before we explore that, I mean, we could explore our lovely sponsors. That's oh yeah, better. that sounded better in my head. I'd say the, the the content from our lovely sponsors as opposed the to content, the content. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, our lovely sponsors, Comic House. Yes, the fantastic indie comic marketplace that we love, and hopefully you love. 
Um, and if you, if you don't know what we're talking about, then here here's the spiel. <laughs> I like that word. I don't use that word. That's a good one. Thanks. Um, yes, they're, they're an indie comic marketplace. Um, there's a huge selection of titles on the Comic House database. If you self-publish, you can also list your work on there and start selling straight away. Another avenue to get your comics out into the big wide world. Another way to do it is to have them digitally and available on the Comic House app. Mm. Um, it's basically Netflix for comics. Only £3 a month you get access to an enormous library of digital indie comics. It's being added to all the time, including some of our past guests, no doubt some of our future guests. Um, we're, we're discovering stuff on there all the time, and normally when we discover something, give it a couple of months and the creator will be on the show. So yes. that could be you. But um, what stuff is on there at the moment, Dan? We've got uh, the Macabre uh, Motel, uh, The Bad, Bad Place by David Hine and Mark Stafford. That looks fantastic, the cover to that. I don't think I've seen that one in there before. Uh, we've got Logan's Run Aftermath, Issue 4, The Misadventures of Adam West, Volume 2, Issue 9. Christ, that one's going for a, a long time, isn't it? And we've got <laughs> The Last Homicide, I Hope Not, Issue 1. The Hope Not was me. I was about to say, hang on, no, but even so, we need to <laughs> clarify that. Why, yeah. do, you just want, do you want more murder in the world, Dan? No, in more murder in comics. Ah, got you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yes. We, we, we only want the killing in the comics, people. Yeah. Nowhere else, really. Yeah. <laughs> so you, I'll just keep digging. Just, just keep, just keep give digging. Give me a shout yeah, and I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll carry Let me know you. if you, um, I mean, you're digging quite furiously. So if your shovel breaks, <laughs> let me let me know and I'll get you a new one. I'm going to start collapsing the tunnel in on myself in a <laughs> second. So just let, let, me, let me carry on. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> so you can discover all of that and more. Um, just go to comichouse.com today. Um, there's a 14-day free trial as well, because everything should have it. I think a subscription service has always got to have a free trial, isn't it? Yeah, you it, kind of, sometimes it, I've, I've signed up stuff, you think, oh, it's out for me. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I've never it, thought that about Comic House. Yeah, there's a free trial on uh, my recommendation layer. Yes. But we'll we'll talk more about that later. So, go, yeah. Spring back around to that. Yeah. Uh, check out comichouse.com today for more. So, yes. Manga. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more about it. Me and Dan are just going to shoot the breeze, aren't we, Dan? We've got a few things to talk about in the second half of the show. But before that, please look forward and you're, you're going to learn some stuff. I certainly um, learned a lot from um, the chat that we had with the wonderful author of many, many books about anime and manga, Helen McCarthy. <laughs> Right then, folks, it's Manga Month. Manga Month has begun, hasn't it, Tony? Yeah, yes. very exciting. And uh, if, like us, um, you're just starting off with this particular genre of, of comics, then don't worry, we've got your back. And we're starting off with a bang, um, this, this whole exploration of, of manga. Nobody told me it was going to be that kind of interesting. So, uh, come on, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, we as you can hear, we are joined by a guest, the author whose books include titles such as The Brief History of Manga, Five Hundred Manga Heroes and Villains, and The Art of a Asuma Tezuka. Have I got that right? Asuma Tezuka. Ah right. The God yeah. of Manga. It's yeah. our pleasure to welcome Helen McCarthy to the show. Hello. Hi there. Hi Helen, great to have you on. We're fans of your uh, we've been watching you on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> yep. What, oh, what? Dad, Helen, what's happening to the show already? We've already started. <laughs> well, me, me and YouTube, we, 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 we have a love-love relationship, but I have a face made for radio. No. 
I also have a voice made for silent film. And unless I'm actually <laughs> in costume or portraying a character, film is never kind to me. So if you stuck with me on YouTube, you really wanted that information. Oh, that, that 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, do you know what ca- captured you as a guest? Is that 10 minutes you give? And basically, I've never seen a quicker but more detailed history of manga in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. We'll have to stick yeah. it in the show notes, won't we, V? Because it's yeah. absolutely brilliant. The wasn't it? The Petra yeah. Pe- that was fantastic that was so much fun and and for someone like me that's really handy because a Pecha Kucha says that you have a limited number of slides each only up for 20 seconds to tell your entire story now given the chance I will talk for four and a half hours and I, I actually did pimp that Pecha Kucha out for another 40 seconds so I, I I gamed the whole thing there but it was great doing that it was such a lot of fun Oh, it's good. I've never seen anyone talk so much. I was saying to Vince, you know, though, do, you, do you ever see those plays? It's like where they try and fit Shakespeare into 15 yes. minutes. Anyway, yeah. It was a bit like watching that. It was like just like <laughs> I plugged it straight into my brain. Yeah. So how did I suppose the first question is, how did you how did you find yourself in the world of researching manga and anime, Helen? Because nobody else would do it. Right. OK. Um, you know, lo- lo- long story short, as short as I can do it and. When I say as short as I can do it, I am the eldest of a family of eight children, eight children, and we all talk very fast, very loud over each other very often. So it's like being in one of, you know, one of those huge um, song circles where everybody's doing a rondo over each other and you make sense of it somehow. You've got to get in somehow, I suppose. That was how I I grew up. But I met a guy and he was... Here we go. He was rather hot. (laughs) Um, and I fancied the pants off him, but that's another story altogether. And he'd just come back from his graduation trip, which was Spain. Right. Um, not Marbs, but, but, but Spain. <laughs> and in Spain, as you may know, in the late 70s, early 80s, they had anime on TV and they had manga in translation. And he and his mates happened to turn on the telly one night and they got an all-night Japanese giant robot fest. I mean, don't you wish somebody would do that on streaming somewhere? Just Japanese robot episodes from the 70s and 80s all night. And so, of course, the next morning, or maybe the next afternoon, since they were all students, they all rushed out into the little local town and bought up as much of the merchandise for for this show as they could find. And they had comics they had toys. And when we met afterwards, Steve showed me all this and said, um, this is all Japanese, you know. It's not Spanish at all. It's all Japanese. Right. And I thought, that's interesting. And at the time, it happened that I worked for the British Library, which is a pretty good place to work if you want to research an obscure topic. Yeah. But manga, anime, nope. Yeah, maybe a two-line entry in a history really? somewhere or a history of anime somewhere saying, um, I'll pray see. Most Japanese comics and most Japanese animation are Saturday morning trash, suitable only for juveniles and people with weak minds. Apart from this guy, Tezuka, who makes some art house stuff that's sometimes quite good, um, just write off everything else. You know, you, do, you really don't want to know unless you have a three-year-old to entertain. And I thought, no, no, I'm sorry. That, that just doesn't work. That's... That's, that's, like, that's very similar to the reputation that comic books in general has with the greater public anyway, isn't it? That's oh, yeah, very much so. And it was the relationship that comic books had with the creative, with the, with the media most mm. of the time there. But I thought, no, that's that's got to be wrong because some of the stuff that Steve had brought back and shown me and some, particularly some of the, the manga, I couldn't actually read any Spanish. But I could read those narratives 
from the line. And I, I, I love storytelling. I love all forms of storytelling. And when you give me a story that I don't even need the language to read it in, I can read it just from the visuals. That's fantastic. No, all right, you don't get the nuance. But at that stage, I wasn't about nuance. I was about, this is a really interesting medium for storytelling. It's obviously quite big. The other thing that I had as an advantage was I went to a French-speaking convent school okay. in Liverpool, which created some hilarious accents, as you can imagine. If you've never heard Moliere <laughs> done in a Scouse accent, you've never heard Moliere. Um, you, you really need him. All right, the original Klingon, maybe, but I contend that Moliere in Scouse is the best form of Moliere. But yep. that said, because of that, I'd been to France and Belgium several times on school trips and I realised that I'd seen comics like these Spanish comics around French and Belgian tabacs and, and newsagent shops. And I thought, OK, so I can get them in French. OK. So I started to get them in French and I started to look at them in French and I realised that the range was much, much bigger than anybody had suggested. So what do you do? You, you work in the centre of library research in the United Kingdom and you can't find a book? Obviously, you write one. Hmm. Obviously. What what else is there? So I felt full of confidence, speaking no Japanese, having contacts with American friends who were in Japan, but very few contacts otherwise, having contacts with French friends and colleagues and schoolmates. I felt that I could write a book about anime and manga in Japan. Wow, okay. Nobody agreed with me. When you think about it, it's obvious. I mean, this strange person turns up and says, I'm going to sell you a book about a genre that very few people in the West know anything about, a whole world of entertainment that is virtually unknown in English, and you're going to spend your hard-earned cash on publishing it. What would you say, to be fair? Yeah. You you can't blame so you, um, you you were intending to travel out to Japan and work on it out there? Was that the plan? Oh, no. No, that was never the plan. People couldn't <laughs> afford to travel to Japan in those days. You know, good, good. I was earning like Tuppence Hapenny a week for the civil service. There was no way I could get to Japan. I was planning to do what everybody used to do then, which is, do you remember faxes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fax or send letters. Yeah. Writing a book then was a long process. You know, you, you took maybe two or three years. It actually took me... 12 years from meeting Steve in 1981 to the publication of my first book in 1993 to get it done. And to get there, I had to found a a newsletter about anime, found a magazine about anime, and build up a market for anime. What was the magazine, just for the listeners? The the magazine was called Anime UK, because one thing that somebody said to me quite early on, in fact, that several people said to me quite early on, in the publishing industry is nobody is going to buy a book about comics. Comics are rubbish. Forget that. There's no interest in comics in serious publishing at all. On the other hand, you might be able to sell a book about animation because there are two potential crossover markets for that outside nerddom, which doesn't have any money. There's kids. How how the world has changed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, it hasn't really. It's just just people have got a bit more awake to what goes on under the stoves. Yeah, true. Which is where nerddom was in those days. But parents will buy things with a cartoon on because they think it's suitable for kids. Great. And also, people that are interested in animation 
are very often a bit more intellectually respectable. You know, they, they, they watch four minute shorts from the Film Board of Canada. So they might be interested in acquiring a book like this for their universities or for their college libraries or for their own collections. So you might sell one about anime. So I thought, all right, if we've got to focus on one thing that will sell, because I've always believed you have to write the book that they'll buy. Exactly. Before you can get them yeah. to buy the book that you want. Focus <clears throat> on the thing that will sell. Do some anime. Also, I was a big science fiction fan and I went to a lot of science fiction conventions and there was a convention circuit that I knew would screen anime. I couldn't afford to import quantities of manga or even small quantities of manga. And I definitely wasn't going to spend my convention sitting behind a stall flogging manga. That wasn't my idea of fun at all. But I could get people to mount video shows. Okay. And of course, back then we did it. It was all totally illegal. Now most conventions will get clearances and most companies will give clearances. But back then you just scrounged a, a third generation camera copy from somebody's cousin that had happened to go to France or Japan or wherever and you showed that. What sort of films was that, Helen? Um, well, the first convention that I persuaded to screen anime was the EasterCon in 1990, EastCon 90, which happened to be in Liverpool. It was planned in East Anglia, but it happened to be in Liverpool and that was that was a whole other story. And... Uh, I am quite good at talking and I was invited onto the bid committee specifically because they wanted to win the bid. And I said, okay, we'll do this and I will happily do whatever you want me to do at the convention and whatever job you want to give me, that's fine. But if we win, I want an anime room for at least 36 hours. Wow. Okay. I want to screen, I want to program it, I want to screen it, I want no interference in programming it. And the convention committee said, fine, that's that's great, even though most of them had never heard of anime. Because every convention, as you know, can always find a spare room with a TV for running videos for a few geeks or people who want somewhere to sleep. So yeah, I remember going to conventions in the old days and that if you couldn't get a hotel, you could kip in the was watching yeah. Supergirl the movie or something, yeah, you know, it's like exactly. that. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody would be surprised that you went to sleep because most of the stuff you saw would send anyone to sleep. <laughs> so anyway, we got that and we got the convention. And I ended up running the art show as well because the person running the art show had to, had to um, drop out. That, that happens so often with conventions. You know, people sign on to do the work and they sign on with the absolute intention of doing it and with the best will in the world. Sometimes real life just, just kicks you in the mm. teeth and yeah. you can't go to the con or you can't do the prep work or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, I ended up mounting the art show and we also did, a thir- I think it was 37 and a half hour anime program at all sorts of odd times. Some of the times that you'd want, the prime times, the afternoon, the early evening, some of the times that you wouldn't, like 4 a.m. Okay. But all over the weekend, that room never had less than half a dozen people in it. For the two Good. peak screenings, which were Akira and Uratsuki Doji, Legend of the Overfiend, okay. we actually had to get somebody to go downstairs to the bar and keep the fire officer in there. Because <laughs> if the fire officer had seen how many people we had in that room, we would have been shut down. That's my kind of fire officer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, well... Liverpudlian, what can you say? You know, Scousers yeah. are terrific. I bow to no one in my admiration for Scousers. Um, <laughs> Those are two particular titles, though, that that did sort of herald the boom, like certainly Akira, like because yeah. yeah. that was it, they got the VHS boom. That stuff, was around. Didn't they? That yeah. was ninety eight. 88, I believe, in Japan it was released, wasn't it? 88, 88 in Japan. Um, I came out in 90 in the States, and I think it was 91 over here. So okay. we were just before that boom. Yeah. And 
We also had, thanks to good friends who were stationed in Japan, American friends and French friends and other friends all over the place, we also had, Steve and I spent most of the year beforehand watching tapes that were sent in from all over the world to cut down to that screening. We showed Totoro because I fell in love when I saw Totoro. I thought, you have to have this. Um, We showed quite a few episodes of TV series because we wanted to let people know it's not all movies. You know, there are TV shows on there that are every week that connect just like a weekly TV show does. And we had a lot of fun with it. We really did have a lot of fun with it. Um, And it it was huge. And on the Sunday of the convention, actually, no, maybe the Monday of the convention, at lunchtime, we Mm. put a flyer around saying that we'd be having a a get-together in the bar for anyone that enjoyed anime or had seen it over the weekend and enjoyed it and wanted to know more. And Steve and I came away having committed to doing a newsletter to connect people and put them in touch with sources and, and help basically help them get their supply. Yeah. And within a very short time, that newsletter, which we put out on our living room table, mm-hmm. um, inhaling cow gum like it was 1966, you know, because cow gum, of course, was the narcotic of choice. <laughs> yeah. The yeah, yeah. Of paste design. Yeah. And sadly, I think most designers now wouldn't even know how it smelt because everything's done on a, a desktop computer. I know. And newsletters are now like a subscription on a, you know, that you always have to look at your inbox and then oh, unsubscribe, yeah. unsubscribe. We sort of scan them, don't we? We don't yeah. always read them, yeah. Whereas mm. you, you used to get these things that dropped in envelopes through your letterbox. Yeah, they? great, weren't they? What a world. Yeah, it, can, it was. It was. Can we take you back a little bit, Helen? Because I know in your your talks previously, apologies, I think my camera's just broken, but they just to, to talk to you about. You're very careful to talk about pre-war, um, the history of manga. But was the post-war period the real watershed area for manga? Do you think? Do you think that's when it really started, or is there something before that? No, there's a lot before that. Um, right. Manga manga really started in Japan in the 1860s. Right. Okay. Um, we and, and it, Britain was very involved in it. There was a British guy whom I absolutely adore called yes. Charles Wordman, and Charlie was one of those people who's an adventurer looking for an adventure. Right. He was, a, I think, second or third son in a very well-connected Swedish immigrant family, third or fourth generation immigrant. His family was silversmiths, so you know, respectable and with money, but not top drawer. Right. One of his brothers went on to become um, Theodore Blake Workman, a member of the Royal Academy and quite a distinguished Victorian artist. But all of them were well-educated and very artistic and well-traveled. One of his sisters ended up in Australia, and at that time that was quite unusual. And he wanted to do something. He He was a second or third son, and he wanted to do something that was a bit different. So he went out to China with a commission in his back pocket from the Illustrated London News because he was he was a well-trained artist. He could draw, he could paint. And he said, um, send me out there and I'll send you reportage. And of course, this was the days before widespread photogravure in, 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 in journals and, and right. newspapers. Mm. And I'll send you back the drawings to go with it. So he did that. And after a bit, he met a few people in China who said, oh, this is getting boring now. And Japan's the new frontier. That's just opened up since the Americans steamed in there. Why don't we go there? So he went to Japan and he arrived right. in Japan and he fell in love and he never left. Well, right. we're, actually, we're not sure he never left. There's a possibility he might have gone to Australia to see that sister and come back. 
but it's only vague hints in documentation, so we don't really know. So, so what was the format for those comics? Were they in newspapers, oh, or uh, how were they? They, 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 were, they, they had a clear line of progress, and they started right. out with something like a Monty Python-esque skit magazine. Right. That Wordman did for the expat community, and he called it Japan Punch because he called it after British Punch, which yeah. was already, you know, quite oh, big. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. But, of course, there were a lot of young Japanese who were busily learning English and learning all they could about this new world because it was a good way to get ahead and make a living. And they saw this style of cartooning and this very loose, very irreverent style of drawing. And they also saw that Wergman could paint classically. So he set up two side businesses. He started teaching people manga style what we now call manga style cartooning political cartooning satirical cartooning and he started teaching people to paint like classical westerners because obviously interesting if you want these very fashionable classical western paintings it's a lot cheaper to get them painted by a local guy than to bring them all the way across the world so his his art started to boom in both directions and he taught the two guys who produced the first what we consider the first manga magazine And he taught many, many other people. And gradually, the Japanese began to do satirical magazines themselves. And that was very frowned on by the authorities, but it was really cutty edge. It was like like Private Eye when it first opened up. It was really, you know, the British satire scene in the 60s had a lot in common with the emergent manga scene in the 1860s. Right. After a while, people started to do them. And then, as you said, Tony, they moved into newspapers. People began to be interested in buying American strips, French strips, and translating them. People began to be interested in doing Japanese strips on those lines. And is so it at that, got, sorry to interrupt, Helen, but is it at that point that it became sequential rather than single image? Or um, it was. It always tended to be sequential. Right. Okay. The Japanese at that time had a style of stories that they called a monogatari stories yep. with pictures, illustrated stories. So they would do, you know, like the old Rupert Bear. A yep. little cartoon okay. and then a block of text. A little yep. cartoon and then a block of text. Word balloons were unknown at that stage. They came in a bit later on towards the end of the 19th century. And so it developed from there into more like what we know today through the medium of newspaper cartooning because they had models from European and English and American newspapers to look at and say, we can do these, what we now call Yonkoma, four-panel strips, the okay. classic newspaper strip. But it didn't actually take off in terms of the magazines we know, which is what you asked me about 10 minutes ago, <laughs> until the early 19th, the early 20th century. Magazines boomed then because Japan was having a bit of an economic boom. People had money mm. and people were used to buying printed novels, um, which had been since the Edo era had been really popular and printed okay. posters and artwork. So they took to the idea of buying magazines and in women's magazines, and particularly in kids' magazines, a monogatari, stories with manga-type illustrations, and eventually strip manga, sequential manga, began to appear. They didn't get their own magazines, their own dedicated magazines, just for strips for quite some time, because most parents then, as now, said, why are you reading a comic book? Why aren't you reading a novel? Why aren't you reading yep. a short story? Why aren't you reading text? And so magazines hedged their bets and had some illustrated stories, some manga-type stories, and some quite a lot of text stories. But okay. over time, it became obvious to publishers 
that the things that kids were reading and responding to most enthusiastically. And interestingly, the thing that lots of adults were reading and responding to enthusiastically were comics. Right. And comics in Japan really got their start from that huge early 20th century pre-war boom. And they never looked back. I mean, people of all ages and all types in Japan still read comics. Yeah, we love hearing that. We love hearing that people read golf manga on the tube and stuff like that. You know, it's something... I, I don't know whether you remember or whether you ever saw, but all those little kind of A5 size comic books with lurid colours like Commando comics and war yeah. comics and naval history comics, the guys used to buy in the post-war years in Britain. Yeah. And my dad was addicted to Commando comics. Still going. Yeah, it's yeah. still got a little. It's not as popular, but it's still got quite a little sort of group of, let's call them older men who read them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose when you've been through that kind of experience, yeah, and there's nothing else in popular culture that helps you process it because everybody's saying we're all happy now and everything's booming now. Yeah. Commando comics are somewhere you can put your experience. And, and format-wise, they're not that dissimilar from manga, I'm guessing, in a way, aren't they? They're, they're, they're thinner, I'm guessing. But, yeah. You know. Well, they're, they're thinner, but the thing is, they were very, very cheap, so you could buy a lot of them. Yeah, I think and they the still thing, are. I think they're only like less than two mm, quid, I think. Yeah. Well, now they are, but I mean, yeah. I can remember my dad used to pay sixpence for <laughs> yeah. them when I was four or five, and I think they'd gone up to about one and six by the time I hit 12. Right. So he, he remained a faithful reader of, of, of Commando Comics. And it, so that that kind of talking to the people at a price that they could afford, but also having an intellectual element because comics were popular in quite highbrow journals in Japan. Okay. The comics were never downtrodden in the same way they were in the West. Well, look down and, on, I see what you mean. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Intellectuals yeah. wrote yep. for comics and intellectuals read comics and intellectuals made films based on comics quite early on. And so okay. comics just didn't carry the same level of stigma. Yeah. Obviously, it wasn't considered good to be addicted to anything. You know, educated, civilised people don't spend their whole lives just reading comics. I think that's common in every society. There's oh, always that little that's bit of snobbery. Yeah. <laughs> there's always that little bit of snobbery about the total geek. It's like, what, don't you yeah. have a life? Don't you have a girlfriend? Can't yep. your mum find you a wife? You know, but but people just didn't think that comics were that awful. Yeah, I get you. Which is good. Now, I think we should probably touch on Tezuka. Is that how we say it? Um, Tezuka. Yeah. I think we really should talk about him because I loved your book about him. Thank you. Um, I did too. Good. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It's it's absolutely gorgeous. The art in there. I've never seen stuff loads of that stuff it's before stunning, isn't it it really yeah. i mean i've got to say that the people at ilex tim pilcher who was my commissioning editor and nick jones who designed the book yeah. did such a stunning stunning job and when it went over to america and abrams did it charlie cockman very sensibly just left the edition exactly as it was apart from a cover for the for the u.s but right. they they really did a great job and and we were lucky in that tezuka's legacy is handled by tezuka production yeah. I think all but one or two titles are actually in their hands for copyright and the titles that aren't are mostly anime titles. And so they were able to not only give us full support and work with us on the images, but to give us access to a range of stuff that would be really difficult to get in one place yeah. for many, many other artists. Um, 
Now, I've got to mention this because I mentioned this before we came on, but the interview, there's, there's a DVD, for those that haven't got the book, go out and buy it, get, get a copy, but it's got a DVD in it, which is this sort of behind-the-scenes documentary interview with Tezuka. And um, I love his sort of rough, offhand comments to interviews. He's mm. He's quite casual. He's not like media trained is he and i kind of admire him for that um is, is how did you get hold of that film was that is was that a publicly owned film in japan or something like that was it or no it was actually made by the equivalent of the bbc in japan nhk oh, okay. and nhk again have had a, a cultural brief that's quite broad um their their world division has been doing videos to promote Japan and essentially redress the views of Japan after World War II, yeah. ever since just after World War II. But also they do an awful lot of cultural programming at home. You know, if, if, if you're sitting flicking through the TV schedules in Japan, you'll see an interview with a modern mangaka or a round table about current affairs that includes somebody who writes manga, somebody who makes movies, somebody who, who sings rap and a politician. Right. So it's, okay. it's it's still still that sort of format. And when we were looking at the book, we thought, how can we give it an edge in the market? And I just happened to say to, to I think it was to Nick, who was doing our picture negotiations, there, there's a lot of video footage on Tezuka in Japan, yeah. in the major TV companies' archives, that's never been released in the West. What do you think we could do? Do you think you could talk to... to the people at Tezuka Pro and see if they can put us in, in the way of something that would be helpful. So Nick went off and did his thing and we got the NHK documentary. We subtitled it. It's, it it's brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. It's he's got this, best. he's got this flat that he works in that only certain people are allowed into. Is that right? He doesn't let his editor in or That's something. Right. Well, he, he, he's, yeah. dead. he's dead now, but yeah, yeah he, he, he had a flat um, near his home that only his missus and his secretary were allowed into. <laughs> um, inside that is editors could queue up at the door and push things through the letterbox but his wife was the only one who could come in and his secretary was the only one who could come come in from work and yeah. he would just shut himself away there when he wanted to actually just focus on his work without any distractions because what people are often surprised to know about Tezuka is that he slept about four hours a day and all the rest of the time he was working. I mean, they work, they do work like nobody's business, don't they? Bank cars. The definition yeah. of, of work is quite broad. Right. I mean, Tezuka loved to have a good time. He was party animal, number one. <laughs> he was often invited out to things like, um, you know, major events that publishing companies threw, parties for other mangaka, dinners for friends and so on. And he'd go. He might only stay for an hour. And then he'd have to go back and finish what he was doing, but he'd go and have a good time. Yeah, when yeah. his office finished on a project, because he ran two separate studios, one for manga, one for animation. When they finished a project or they were at a point where they could just stop and take a break, he'd say, all right, everybody out for noodles. I'm buying. All right. Bye. Who fancies going to a club now? <laughs> right. There's an all night cinema down the road. We can go in there and see this. And he would go to the pictures with lunch boxes. And he would watch a film he was interested in six or seven or eight or nine times as often as they repeated it. Right. Focusing on different things each time. So although he was constantly working, he also had a really terrific social life. Yeah. Really, you know, he, he lived a life and put it into his comics, I'm guessing. You know, that's what he oh, was doing. Well, well when you yeah. think, I mean, he was born in 28. 
And he caused us a lot of confusion because around the time I started researching him, everybody was saying he was born in 26. Right. Um, he said that himself because when he sold his first manga to a newspaper, he wasn't quite 18. Okay. And he thought, nobody will take me seriously if I'm a little kid of 17. Whereas if I say I'm 20, which is 20 is the legal age of, of responsibility in Japan, they can deal with me because I'm a grown-up. So uh, for for several years at the beginning of his career, he lied about his age. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when you think that at the same time as starting his career in manga, coming out of the Pacific War, which had been horrific for him and all his friends and his entire generation, yeah. he was in med school. Right. He was in medical school in Osaka, and he graduated. He yeah. did a full medical school education all the way up to master's level while becoming the superstar of Japanese comics. <laughs> which he is, which is where we were going with that, really, Helen. And and the thing is, is Ast- I mean, is Astro Boy point zero where you would recommend people start their sort of manga? Because I, I know I explained to you in the in an email, but we're kind of into comics, but we, we're almost learning about manga. It's not something we've really, we know that much about. So we're sort of coming to you to say, where would you start? You know, if, if it was down to you, what would you, would it be Astro Boy? Would it be Blackjack, something like that? Ten years ago, I would have said, start with this list of classics. Right. Now I don't need to. About three weeks ago, I walked past a shop in Chiswick. I think it was a Waterstones. And there was a sign in the window that said, new manga arriving every day. Yeah. And I thought, this is what we've been working for all these Mm. years. Yeah. Now I would say, anyone that wants to get into manga and has no idea where to start, go into your public library because they all have manga sections now too, or go into a bookshop and just look at the styles and see what looks like it appeals to you the most. Okay. And grab it and read it. And if you don't like it after the first five pages, do what the Japanese do, put it down and pick something else up and read that. Yeah. And just keep pick and mixing out of what's now available over here. And you will gradually find... I like this. I don't like this. I'm fed up with all these schoolgirls, but I really <laughs> like this action stuff. Um, yeah. I quite like this more reflective, quiet slice of life stuff. My mum would love this. There's a manga going around at the moment that I think is called The Old Man and His Cat, right? Um, okay. which is one of the most beautiful things you've ever seen because it's about a guy who is widowed and desperately, desperately lonely. Like a lot of guys in Japan, He's had very close relations with his family, but most of his, his immediate family are now dead. He and his wife had a wonderful relationship, but she's now dead. What does he do? He's retired. How do you yeah. make a new life mm-hmm. for yourself that has meaning in your 60s? And he picks up the ugliest cat in, I don't know, the rescue center or the pet shop because nobody wants it. And the two of them forge this relationship that is just so sweet and so touching and so loving and so human that you eat buckets reading it. Yeah. it. It's fabulous. And when you say to people, I've been reading the comic, and they say, oh, yeah, superhero shit. No, actually, <laughs> this. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We I, always say this about manga. Sorry, Vegan, you're going to say I, I, was, I just, um, I just quickly uh, looked up 
that and I just I can see the the cover of the first print edition um and immediately this cat is this big round almost cartoonish sort of thing yeah. uh, like yeah. immediately people immediately that's going to draw people in yeah but yeah. that's another thing with manga most manga artists develop obviously they develop their own style and they try and develop a style that will sell but you're not obliged to have everything realistic even if you're drawing something set in modern Tokyo or modern Osaka in realistic settings, if you want to throw in a completely cartoonish cat or a three foot tall character with a pointed head, do it. Yeah. You know, do it. Yeah. But, what, I mean, what, that's something we talk about quite a lot is the fact that in a lot of manga, you'll get super detailed, realistic backgrounds, but the characters in the foreground, you know, are often very cartoony, aren't they? They yeah. can th- they throw that yeah. action in. Yeah. See, this is going to be quite interesting because we uh, sometimes like adaptions naturally come up, and certainly with manga, we'll touch on that as well. Um, but just looking at this, a man and his cat, which as you <laughs> as you described, you weep buckets is a very emotional uh, tale. I'm guessing that a live action adaption started airing on January the first, 2021. The cats are portrayed by puppets. Yes, because how could a real cat portray that cat that all those legions of readers have invested their love in? Yeah. How is that possible? I need, I need to, I mean, I need to see this book and I need to see that. what that looks like. Yeah, we need to get quite drunk and watch that on television. See, that, I'll be honest that, with you. That's something that we don't know in the West. We're kind of used to the fact that successful anime successful manga get anime yeah um akira got its movie it's never had a series thank god um i don't think otomo would allow it um because he'd want to control it and it would take 35 years to make and bankrupt (laughs) the company but manga anime that that are successful manga that are successful also have live action adaptations we think game of thrones is big yeah i was going to ask you about this i've had 20 stage musicals (laughs) Sailor Moon has had, I think, 25 stage musicals touring Japan, touring Asia. I love love manga, Helen, but I don't think I could sit through that, I'll be honest with you. I think that might drive me nuts. Sailor Moon fans will... They'll they'll die for it, won't they? But I was going to ask you a bit about this, because obviously we see that um, transition from manga to anime, and it's very naturalistic, you know, for us to to think it goes from being a a comic to an anime, but there are a lot of live action. I was only reading about Onward Towards Our Noble Deaths by Mizuki today, and that's just been a live action series, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and a lot of Mizuki has been adapted, both for anime and for manga, but his anti-war and they are very strongly anti-war Incredible, aren't they? War, his, yeah. his history of showa still yeah. hasn't been adapted um, uh, okay because japan's really only just being able to come to terms with that era and i suppose yeah. naturally enough it's like my dad's generation has mostly died now yeah. but the last remaining spitfire pilots the last remaining frontline world war ii combat operators are now in their late 90s or early centuries and they're dying off. And, and how do you disrespect the sacrifice and the service of people like that yeah. by making anti-war blockbusters that deal with their direct experience? So I yeah. think until quite recently, it was probably very difficult for Japanese companies to contemplate. Yeah, because that's a seventies book, isn't it? That got yeah. has only just. Yeah. I mean, I, I actually I read it recently. This is one of the reasons we've started this. Ellen is this mm. book. I I was like so it really was by astonishing. It. Uh, um, unbelievable. And I, I I read the book, and it's I put it as mouse good. 
Yes. It's as good as Mouse. It's yeah, that. He had one arm, yeah. Mizuki. Yes, he lost it, didn't he? In, um... he, lost it in, he lost it in Leyte, in, in the Pacific, in the yes. war. And he yeah. lost, he was left-handed and he lost his left arm. <laughs> so he He's had still... to learn to draw all over again with his right arm. Oh, my God. And there's, and there's museums to this dude. There's like oh, yeah. almost like a, a, oh, yeah. um, um, a park for him, you know? Well, his, his hometown has got bronze casts, life-size, yeah. life-size bronze casts, of all these comic figures. At the side all of the road, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I'm absolutely, I'm addicted to him. I think he's genius. He, you know. he's utterly brilliant. And, you know, he was the opposite of Tezuka. Right. He always used to say, I sleep at least 10 hours a night. <laughs> if I'm feeling tired, I stop work and go to sleep. Yeah. I eat, I take breaks for three meals a day. I wouldn't dream of eating at, at, at my drawing board. That would just be awful. He said, all these people, he gave an interview once where he said, you look at people like Ishinomori um, who, who, who the the guy who Shatari Shinomori essentially created what became the Power Rangers and that okay. whole genre of mm. team shows. Yeah. Tezuka, all of them died at sixty. Yeah, and why? Because they didn't sleep enough and they didn't pay enough attention to their diet. And right. He he rolled on to I think ninety three something like that. Yeah, working up to a day or so before his death. Wow. Okay. Now he's are you call. I mean, we called Tezuka the god of manga, but um, he's kind of the the godfather of is it yokai? Is that how we describe it? He actually Mizuki was also one of the most respected folklore scholars in yeah. Japan. Um, universities took him very seriously, very seriously indeed. And uh, Mizuki was always fascinated by the things that modern life drives out. Right. I mean, he said quite quite frequently and quite openly that when he was a kid, he used to see yokai. He used to see ghosts and he used to see spirits and he used to see these little folklore creatures that inhabit Japan. And he said that the reason that we don't see them now is that they can't cope with electric light. Right. The vibration of electric light is all wrong for them. It drives them away. So, of course, as Japan has become increasingly modernized and increasingly lit with electricity, the yokai have retreated in just the same way that um, Miyazaki and Takahata in the Studio Ghibli films show mm. wildlife retreating before the expansion of, of, of modern man. Wow, okay. Which is, he, he sees yokai, Mizuki sees yokai as an ecosystem that we're eradicating. Yeah, really interesting. So is there any books by him you'd recommend people jumped on, Helen? Well... The most interesting one for me, apart from Showa, his history of, of the Showa era in Japan, yeah. is Gegege no Kitaro. And the yeah. reason that's interesting is because he didn't originate it. Did you get that, Vince? You have to put that in the notes. Gegege so <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> no Kitaro is yeah. uh, um, spooky Kitaro. Yeah. Story of a kid who's half ghoul, born in a graveyard out of his dead mother which, of course, was quite frequent back then because women would die in the process of childbirth. And if you didn't know an awful lot or the midwife didn't happen to know anything about getting the baby out, she'd quite often be buried with the baby still in the birth canal and then babies would emerge in the grave. And there are lots and lots of stories in Japanese folklore about (laughs) people hearing the crying of a small child's grave. That is all... Oh, oh, that is... (laughs) I mean, just, just... it's it's just life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it's, know, it's, the thing is, that I read the more I read about Japan, especially the post-war stuff. The, the more I was I was reading um, a couple of books today, actually, funny enough. And it was like it's br- like Slum Wolf by Tadeo Tsugi, 
which yes. is one of these sort of more underground ones. And stuff like Barefoot Gen as well, they went through it, didn't they, Helen, oh, back wow. then? Oh, my I God. Mean, you know. they, were, they were a much poorer country yeah. than Britain or America or even rural places in Italy. They were, they were incredibly poor, and especially after the war. There, was, there wasn't much actual starvation after the war in that people did die of starvation in the immediate occupation era. Right. But there was an awful lot of very serious hunger. There are some really interesting things um, in academic journals about where, where studies have been done about nutrition in post-war Japan about people digging up sweet potatoes, which were a very popular crop because they grow easily and they grow fast and there's a lot of, of starch in there. And not only eating the sweet potatoes, but also boiling the roots, the stringy yeah. roots that come off, and picking the insects out of the roots and eating them because they're yeah. a source of protein. Yeah, I read some it, stories about them boiling leaves from trees yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, There was a lot of very, very serious hunger. And, of course, unfortunately... When supply, the Allied troops gave them the kind of supplies they would give people in America, which were not things the Japanese knew how to use. They didn't use sugar that much. They didn't use flour that much. They didn't understand how to process these rations they were being given. And so there there was a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of back and forthing. and, And people did suffer very seriously. And some people did die of hunger. And for us, I mean... I remember my, my, my mother and father both telling me a good deal about the war in Britain. My father would never talk about his experiences overseas. Right. But there was a lot of hardship here. But as far as I know, people didn't starve. Yeah. It's, it's funny enough because there, there is a strand of manga that is about that post-war era, especially mm. when you've got the GIs living there as well. I was reading um, the, the short story book Pushman the other mm. day by Yoshihiro Tatsumi. Um, and that's it's like reading like a, a more raw version of Love and Rockets. It's incredibly or, you know, so, uh, you know, it's some sort of post-war torture period. These people were so badly, but they some became prostitutes, some became gangsters, some became, you know, down and outs. It was, it was all that sort of thing going on. Incredibly yeah. depressing. It was. But in a way, it was, it was they were determined to live. Yeah, they they had just had the most shocking period in which their entire culture had been ripped apart yeah. and everything that they believed before the war had been torn up and they'd been told that's complete rubbish and now you're going to learn democracy like it or not. Yeah. But they were determined to go on living. And the thing that kept them going through that was comics because although the Allies, through the American occupying forces, rigidly censored everything published in Japan, everything. Wow, okay. Mostly... Right. They couldn't be asked with comics. Oh, okay. And I mean, it's, it's easy to see why when you think about it, because the, the office that was doing the censorship was quite small. Military never fund enough civil servants. So they had half a dozen people sitting there faced with every publication in Japan coming into them and requiring them to scrutinise it and give it a stamp of approval before it could be printed. Okay. Hmm. So you're there. It's Friday afternoon. It's four o'clock. You want to go down the bar. You want to go home and meet your family. Yeah. And you've got a pile of comics, which you've left to last because they're not important. What do you do? You look at them and you think they're comics. How much trouble can they be? And you just stamp the covers and out they go. Yeah. And that was the only way that the Japanese could process their experiences 
in the kind of stories that they could tell in comics. And even then, they couldn't be too overt about it, because obviously that would get them into trouble. But if you look at a lot of Tezuka's comics from the occupation era, they're about enslavement by a vastly superior force. They're about unjust hierarchies, which there were plenty of in Japan. Some of them, as he gets older and gets more daring, get more realistic, but that's post-occupation. But they're talking about the kind of experiences that kids his age, teenagers and 20-somethings, were having in the post-war era, but dressed up as science Mm. fiction. Recovering recovering an identity. Yeah, Yeah, and that's how a lot of... um, I mean, not not just for the Japanese, but across the world, a, a lot of entertainment, what people see as entertainment, like sometimes there's very serious personal things that the creator has poured into it, which yeah. has given birth to these, you know, these wonderful science fiction worlds, which then someone turns into an IP and turns it into toys and things like that. Yeah. But, but like the very basis of it is, is a creator putting some of themselves, because there's always an element of putting part of yourself into a work. Oh, yeah. So, so like post-war Japan, there must, there, you know, there must have been so much. How have you seen that change over the decades as, it, as you're researching to, like, you know, comics from then to comics now where we're seeing, like, everything's hyper-style, you know, you have, like... The, Hyper-cool, isn't it? They're, way, they're, yeah. they're fighting demons or, or kaiju or, you know, or the sports comics. or, or how, has, how have you seen trends change in with manga as... Comp- you know, because Western comics are all over the shop, but how has it changed uh, for Japan? Um, I don't know I would say it has changed so much as developed because you've got to remember, <clears throat> although the majority market for comics in Japan is boys aged 8 to 22, there are still big, smaller markets in which you can make a living. The girls' market in Japan is massive. Right. The women's market in Japan is massive. Now... Girls' comics in Britain died out around the time of the mid-60s pop star boom because they became photo romance stories. And a few hung on, like Misty. God, I loved Misty. Well, um, yeah. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you about Misty in a minute, Helen. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, but <laughs> gradually, we gave away that whole element of our industry. We gave away our entire comics industry, basically, except for kids, and bought into the American superhero thing. Yeah. But in Japan, they all kept going. And so you have a large number of female creators Hmm. who are very respected and very strong and very, very varied in their output. You have a large number of older creators, both male and female, who've stayed the course and and make their living and get by there. And And, uh, and I I guess the older creators still as big now as they were when they were coming up. Because sometimes they they must value them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think they're necessarily as big now as when they're coming up because in any market, the big thing is the big thing. and it The big new more- thing, yeah, that, yeah. So if you get something like Naruto coming along at just the right time when Dragon Ball's creator has decided he has had enough of drawing 16 hours a day, five days a week, and he wants to just sit and build model kits and walk along the beach with his kids and take the dog for a walk, you start doing this thing at 14, 15 in school, sometimes mm. even younger. You do your best to get picked up by a publisher. You work really, really hard all through your 20s. You might make time to get married. You might wait till your 30s. There comes a point when you have all the money you will ever need. And you're starting to look around and think, do you know, I was really lucky to do this and I had a blast doing this, but maybe now I want to just step back a bit. And it's notable that Akira Toriyama, who is Dragon Ball's creator, now he still does manga. 
but he does much smaller runs of manga. And he doesn't get the numbers because that's gone to Naruto. That's gone to One Piece. That's gone to the mm. comics that service the same market Dragon Ball was servicing. Okay. Because kids still want, you know, especially little boys still want that kind of comics. Mm. They now put more and more cool female characters in there. And I'm really glad about that. But that's not new. There have always been cool female characters in Japan. Yep. It's just that as people have realized that as many not as many, but many girls buy boys' comics because they become attracted to particular stories mm. in the same way that some boys buy girls' comics because they are attracted to particular stories. Yeah. And so there's, there's, although you'll have a main hero and a main quest, you'll have a lot of subsidiary characters who will include girls and increasingly people of divergent gender and people of transgender and aliens and non-humans and non-Japanese who are all in the same boat, basically, and animals and animal human hybrids and god human hybrids all sorts of stuff yeah but trends have developed and the trends that have held on have been the ones that maintain the market but even a creator whose time on the peak of the wave has passed can still maintain readership and respect and affection and a nice income yeah that's good at- it's good that they're honored like that because i think sometimes in american and british comics we kind of forget the old faces don't we a little mm. too a, lo- a little too quickly i think yeah and yeah. and and when you look back at them you realize how lucky you were to have them i mean yeah. Steve, my, my other half is a huge marvel fan good and man. of course we've been to all the movies right. and we just sat in tears at stan lee's last appearances in those yeah. movies and the tributes that people paid to him. And when he died, we were running all the, the videos of all the tributes that, that the stars of the movies paid to him. And yeah. it was it was just beautiful to see him being so celebrated. Yeah. But of course, what was also beautiful was to see Stan Lee himself celebrate creators that in the process of making his career, he perhaps hadn't been as kind to. As yeah, the whole Kirby thing, I think, I hope he's turned he turned the corner, I think, towards the end. And the Dick Code thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was just horrendous. Yeah. But but you know, as people get older, they reflect and they have more space. And I don't think their elbows are as sharp. Yeah, I yeah. think they're less inclined to think me first and more inclined to think he was a really great guy and we did some great stuff together. She was a really great girl. Didn't yeah. deserve how I behaved. Yeah, yeah. And people, yeah. We people, all think like that as we get older. There, don't there, we, there's a certain <laughs> yeah, there's a certain element of like I need to stay in my spot. So yeah. I've got to keep other people down, which... But it's not till you're yeah. older that you accept yeah. that you're not going to stay in your spot because it's not your spot. Yeah, It's yeah. a spot for the next big thing. And if you're lucky, you're the next big thing for your time. Yeah. And the trick is to move on gracefully. I, going back just quickly, Helen, on something you said earlier about um, representation and stuff in comics, I actually think uh, manga is very progressive. And it was progressive earlier on than we, we imagine. I think we see it often, don't we, as people running around screaming, you know. Um, but I was reading um, Blackjack today. It's the first time I've read it. I utterly loved it. Absolutely loved it. And um, that has trans representation in like 1972 or something. Yeah, but, but then again, Japan has had trans representation yeah. since the Edo era. Right. I mean, Japan okay. has a tradition of cross-dressing in theatre which yeah. didn't get wiped out, which is still surviving in No and in Kabuki. Yeah, okay. Um, because women were just considered too transgressive to be on stage at the time when Kabuki was developing, and women couldn't possibly be on stage in No because they might start menstruating, and that, that would pollute the religious experience that No Theatre is founded in. Oh, okay. 
So I did that before, but yeah. So men were cross-dressing, and there grew a connoisseurship of how well the onagata, the guys who specialised in female roles, became female. Right. And they were respected for their ability in that regard. And then, of course, the Takarazuka Theatre, which Tezuka was a huge fan of, started up with girls playing every role in huge musical theatre extravaganzas. And Takarazuka divides people very early in their training into either people who are going to play male or people who are going to play female. And they actually live their public lives in those roles. Right, wow. While okay. they work for Takarazuka, male designated players always dress like men. Okay. And yeah, it's always- interesting, isn't it? It's it's something that I, I really thought about a lot when I was reading it. I think we do, in the UK, we do sort of pigeonhole manga fans into a certain thing, don't we? We sort of yeah. see them as those kids who dress up and scream and run around at MCM festivals and stuff. But there's this, I'm, I'm really impressed and having on this sort of little, little road we've been on mm-hmm. in preparation for this month, discovered there's so much more to it. Are there any other books that you would recommend to people that are kind of, you know might take them a bit out of their comfort zone they might imagine you know something that they think oh this is actually different from yeah, what I, think. I, I think for instance like for, for new readers as well such titles just to piggyback on what you're asking there t is um is the library of some of these titles is so huge isn't it like you, you yeah. look and there's like there's like 150 daunting, volumes it? and it's yeah. too daunting for a lot of readers it's so, putting, yeah mm. well, something that personally i really love is a manga by Hayao Miyazaki called yep. Naushika of the Valley of the Wind. Oh, yes, yeah, beautiful. Which it? is huge, yeah. rolling, daunting, but is very, very beautiful. But for people who would like to get into Miyazaki with something a bit more accessible, there's a new translation of his manga, Shuna's Journey, coming out in the States in a very short while, translated by the great Zach Davison, who is a fabulous translator. And I think one thing we do need to talk about with manga and with all foreign comics is how heavily they rely on a good translator. Yeah. Okay. Now, a good translator is not just somebody that can take a language and put its words into the words of another language. A good translator is someone who can get under the skin of a writer and do what that writer would do if they were able to write in the destination language. Yes. And Zach is a, a brilliant, brilliant translator. Um, and so Shuna's journey is going to be really special. And because it's shorter than Naushika, that will be quite a good place for anybody unfamiliar with Miyazaki's particular style of fantasy to start. Okay, that's good to know. The thing is, as well, we've started noticing, and I do think, I don't know what you think about this, I think this is the Netflix effect, where manga, since Netflix started streaming so much anime, manga has just taken off. And oh. as soon as they release a, a new manga, you can't get hold of it sometimes. It's sold out in like a week and stuff, isn't it, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. And, and and pre-orders are your friends and chatting up yeah. whoever is in your favourite comic shop is, is a good thing to do. There are wonderful books by Hirohiko Araki. Oh, okay. uh, the Gyojo's Bizarre Adventure series. Yes. Which yep. He started when he was 20 and he's still doing. Absolutely enormous. And you wouldn't necessarily feel encouraged when you look at the number of Jojo books are out there. But if you pick some of his individual stories, they call them side stories in manga, little offshoots that they do as one-offs, individual books or short series around minor characters. Um, There's a wonderful side story from Jojo's Bizarre Adventure called Rowan at the Louvre, which was actually commissioned by the Louvre Museum in Paris. Okay. They commission a new book Uh, a new manga every year as part of their collection. And it's a spooky story. 
it has all the style of Jojo. Um, it has the artistic look and feel and gloss of it. But it's a very short read. It's one little volume. So Rowan at the Louvre is a good Phew. place to start with Iraqi because if you can't stand that, it's not worth you dipping your toe into Jojo. Yeah, Jojo's one of those ones you can find in the bookshop as well. I can't. You often see it in Waterstones and stuff. Jojo's massively, massively popular. Yeah. I forget the artist, but there's a wonderful manga about Moriarty, Sherlock Holmes's arch rival at the moment. Okay. Um, that's that's great for Holmes has been a huge inspiration for mangaka for for many 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 years. His right. not the novels Conan Doyle is widely translated in Japan and very popular in Japan, and the idea of Holmes has inspired everything from a spaniel detective to a girl detective who is Holmes's younger cousin to all sorts of modern detectives. And of course, the modern version of Sherlock was extensively, um, how should one put this, reversioned in the fan manga market and eventually made into a manga. So, you know, again, you might look for the manga version of Sherlock. Is this the the Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah, Yeah, because um, when I used to do my digital browse sometimes, I would totally see it was a manga art style, but it was clearly him with the curly hair and... And massively, massively popular. It's the image, it's the book that I chose to end my brief history of manga on because I, I was bringing it out in that period. And just the idea that you can go from a bunch of guys kicking around English satirical cartooning for a bit of fun and to see what they could do with it to doing a comic based on the most, the biggest hit series in Britain at the time is, you know, it's just wonderful. That that journey in just, just over century and a half is, is quite a journey. That whole comics are for everyone has never been truer in any country in the world than Japan, has it? You know, it really hasn't. Absolutely. I mean, you, you can find so many things there. The comics they make for little kids are wonderful. If you look at those big fat comic anthologies that come out, several come out every week, some come out every month, some come out every three months, some come out once a fortnight, you can never walk past a newsagent's in Japan or a station bookstore in Japan without seeing four or five new manga editions. And they will have maybe 30, 40 stories in and you just flick through them. Essentially, they're designed so that one of them can be read in one tube stop, one story in one tube stop. Oh, interesting. So you flick through okay. that episode, and if you don't like that episode, you haven't wasted your money because it hasn't cost you a lot. And there's another 25 stories waiting for you. Uh, and okay. when you send back, and, and they craftily, the publishers slip in little cards where you rate the stories, and they have prize draws, and you get prizes and so on. Like 2000 AD used to do that, didn't yeah, they? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you rate your story, and if your story, if you, the artist, find that your story scores badly three weeks in a row, that's it, you're out. <laughs> it's tough throat. But yeah. if you, the artist, find that your story is building over three weeks or four weeks and it gets more and more popular, very soon you will be much more secure and much better off and you will have a contract for a collected edition of the first year's worth of stories. Right. And that's what we get in our market. We get the collected editions of the successful stories. Yeah, that explains the reading style in Shonen Jump. So we've all we've all dived into that to experience it and that's in very short readable chunks and when you say uh, it's a it's a story that you can read between tube stops that's exactly what it is it, yeah, you know, it quickly exactly. comes up the next story yeah yeah uh, interesting. Of course, for, for little kids very little kids the same style works really well very little kids comics tend to focus on things that are on tv because right. very little kids read tv more easily than they read comics um, and they're also very short stories because very little kids have short attention spans yeah. and they're quite repetitive, but they reinforce the habit of reading 
because just as we found with things like in the night garden in this country little yeah. kids love to see more of their favorite characters so they come off the tv where they've just watched their first favorite episode of their favorite character and mum gives them a little comic book or mum buys while they're out shopping a little comic book that maybe has a toy on the front and it's got that story of their favorite characters but it's also got other stories and bit by bit by bit they just get hooked on the reading habit yeah like drug dealers aren't they that's yeah. the idea that's how i'd work if i was a drug dealer helen yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. And yeah. it's brilliant. It's 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 it sustains the industry. Yeah. It's make it available cheaply, drip feed it in, reinforce it with free television advertising, which the series are, and there you are. You've got an yeah. endless yeah. cycle, and it it's just such a, a beautiful, positive cycle because kids, all kids today are facing you know huge huge challenges as well as huge opportunities. Kids in Japan have got these little cheap packets of paper where they can put their fears and their feelings and their ideas and their dreams and they can talk to their friends about them and they don't have to be exposed they can just be saying this character here when what they really mean is am i weird do you think this character's weird it's just such a safe space for kids yeah oh so good such a i mean I mean, everything that we've talked about here is just just the. It's, it goes beyond comics to being the, the cultural or you know just whether it be personalities, therapy, action. It's just got everything, isn't it? And it's like, intertwined with the whole of Japanese culture, isn't it? Yes, That's the thing. yes, yeah. yes. And I think I, I I love the fact that you brought up kids comics as well because I think that the kids comics uh, side of it is something that Western world sees even less of i mean when people think manga they immediately think akira ghost in the shell you know we're we're seeing all of those sort of like science fiction yeah loads loads of big heavy science fiction which fits our stereotype image of japan and also fits our stereotype image of comics yeah if you've ever seen american comics you're going to get on better with akira and ghost in the shell than you are with a man and his cat yeah yeah Yeah. although we're now we're now all over that one yeah. Oh, there's yeah, a fabulous yeah. manga called The Drops of God, which is okay. about a mysterious bartender who makes the perfect drink for everyone who comes in and solves their problems. Huge in Japan. And all it is, is a guy or a girl goes into a bar and the bartender talks to them and makes them the perfect drink. It's like Tokyo Diner. I'm addicted to that series. Yeah. And that was yeah. a manga, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Very, very much so. And there's, there's a guy called Naoki Urasawa who does sensational comics, absolutely you know, astonishing comics. And he's, he's so original, he's so dynamic, but he's totally contemporary. I first got hooked on him with a series called Yawara, the fashionable judo girl, which was <laughs> set, set around a young woman whose granddad was pushing her to be a champion judoka at the Olympics. And all she wanted to do was go out with boys and talk to her friends and play records and buy clothes. But, you know, your granddad's there and you love your granddad, you respect your granddad, and he's saying, come on, come on, you've got to do this. And she ends up at the Olympics and triumphs, but has so many challenges along the way. And from there, he's just gone on, getting better and better and better at interrogating contemporary life. I think my favourite of his is one called 20th Century Boys. Yes. Which is big manga, but for anyone that doesn't want to invest in it, there are three movies. Yeah. And that's just that that sums up for me the second half of the twentieth century so well. 
Try find try finding the first volume of that. By the way, it's impossible. It's, yeah, it's it's a challenge. Yeah. Again, you know, your local library may be your friend. That's true. Yeah. If, if library, thing a lot of people now don't know, but which my generation had drilled into us, is that even if a library hasn't got a book on the shelves, if it's part of the public lending library system, which is also international, it can send out a request to every other library in Britain to see if they've got that book on the shelves. And it may take a little while and you may end up with a digital download, but if it exists on, in a library in Britain, they will get it for you. It's tough. Great. Barbican Library in central London, one yeah. of the best manga libraries in my experience. Oh, okay. I'm often at the Barbican. Ah. Oh, I'll pop in. Yeah. Read more manga, go to the library. That's what we yeah. Uh, yeah, learned, exactly. learned, learned yeah. from this. Um, so... Um, before we before we let you go back to your day, and thank you very much for yeah, it's being been brilliant, Helen. Yeah, it's been brilliant. amazing. We'll definitely yeah, have to go back. The Queen does that. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, when when the Queen is talking to somebody, and you know, we've all had that at a party where somebody kind of backs you in a corner, and for the first five minutes, it's good, and then you think somebody get me away from this weirdo. Yeah. The Queen moves her handbag from one arm to the other. And her lady in waiting zooms in, or the 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 host of the party zooms in, and says, "I'm so sorry. We must let you get back to the deck. <laughs> <laughs> she's a master at it, isn't she? you any longer. <laughs> yeah, she's in charge of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what what is upcoming for you though? Yeah, what we got, we got planned. At the moment, I'm working on two things, two new books that I can't talk about because. We haven't yet sold them to publishers. Okay. But one of the things that's interested me for a long time, especially since doing Tezuka, is exploring careers in depth. And I'm talking with a friend of mine in Japan who is he's, he's a Sheffield lad, but he's lived out there for 25 years and, and he teaches at a Japanese university. Um, we're talking to a major mangaka's office about the possibility of doing some work oh, on nice. that career and that life, which is quite fascinating. What people don't realize is that just because you've had several successful books, and I've had 13 mm. successful books on anime and manga, doesn't mean that you don't get knocked back on pitches. Okay. I reckon that I make seven or eight pitches for every successful one. Wow, okay. Wow. Um, be- because, you know, the market. Yeah. Because people think, well, that's not right for us now, or we can't yeah. do that now, or there's something else coming up that tangentially crosses that that would make hinder it. So we, we, we will do our best to persuade this mangaka's office that we can do a good book, and then we have to sell it. And the other thing is uh, I love intersections. I'm, I'm big on intersectionality. And one of the things at the minute that's growing in scholarship is the intersection between scholarship and fandom. Okay. Scholars and fans can feed off each other and learn from each other and benefit. So I'm in the process of setting up a book that will merge both very serious manga scholars and very passionate manga fans in presenting appreciations of specific artists. And that's that's always a bit more challenging because there isn't any money in the academic side at all. Yeah. Mm. So essentially you're doing it pro bono. But yeah. then most people that do this do it for love because you guys know, even if you make money off a podcast, it's very rarely if you get anything coming in, it just about covers the costs of what exactly. Yeah. 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 So you don't do that kind of book for money. And luckily, although I've, I've never been rich and 
never will be. Steve and I live very, very modestly. Our biggest expenditures are books yeah. and food and drink. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so we're in a position where I can do that. I can say, I'm going to spend a year doing this book that won't make me any money. In fact, it may cost me money by the time I've done the research trips and so on, but God, it'll be so worth doing. Yeah. So and it's something people can go. It's like writing for a journal or something, isn't it? It's somewhere people can go and learn about it. And yeah, I mean, I, I loved your Tezuka book. Brilliant, Thank Helen. You. Well, I, I really like it. it. And actually, what one thing that I am thinking now is in 1999, I published Hayao Miyazaki, Master of Japanese Animation, yep. which was the first book in English on a single auteur in anime. Right. In fact, I'm surprised there aren't more of them now. The wonderful guy called Brian Rue in the States wrote Stray Dog of Anime about Mamoru Oshii, which right. was the second auteur book. But there are very, very few of them. And, and there's nothing quite as rewarding as engaging with the work of a great creator on a really mm. deep level. I mean, yeah, we get it with normal filmmakers, don't we, all the time, you know, yeah, every five minutes. But yeah, yeah. Somebody asked me what, what was the best thing about writing your Tezuka book. And it was that every day for three years, I got up in the morning and I spent my entire working day with a genius. Yeah. Every day. And that's a privilege. And Miyazaki was a privilege. And that book stayed in print for 20 years. And it made money every year it was in print. It yeah. paid me, it paid the publisher, it paid um, Miyazaki's licensors who charged us for the pictures. It finally went out of print after 20 years. And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, it might be interesting. It's hopelessly out of date now, of course. And also, when you've lived with a filmmaker for 25 years with their works and, and their influence, your view of them changes. Yeah. It doesn't mm. mean you're no longer a fan, but your view changes. I mean, you guys know, thinking of your favourite comic. Oh, yeah. Your oh, yeah. view of that artist has changed over the years. Your view mm. of those writers yeah. has changed over the years. So I'm thinking now it might be interesting to go back and reframe this book. I wouldn't change it, but it ended at a particular point in Miyazaki's career. Reframe this book with an introduction and a coda about the rest of his career. Yeah, that, a retrospective from, yeah. So yeah. I'm kind of tossing that project around in my head and thinking, would I be able to sell it? What would happen with it? Writing is, is a life of uncertainty, but luckily, uncertainty is fine because it's the human condition. I mean, how uncertain yeah. are we now? Exactly. Yeah. I'm I'm certain about one thing. Mm -hmm. Here we go. <laughs> hey, I'm a pro. <laughs> this is a queen approach, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could literally, we could be here all day. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. Stop are you editing this? Editing. This is all going in because it's all been gold. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you. you have been the scholar, we have been the fans, and it's been an absolute uh, pleasure we learning have been more. The co operators of this bus that hopefully will take people further into manga. Definitely. There Definitely. You go. That's, there you go, that's, what we, that's what we got you on for, mate. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's the magic bus. And, you know, it's <laughs> the magic bus. I love that. <laughs> Where can people uh, find you and your work if they want to find out more and like pick up some of the work? Um, I have a blog which I haven't touched for about two years because we've been in a pandemic, and you know, mm. but yeah, still yeah. some great stuff on there. I was going through that this week. Yeah, 
Yeah, and th- there's a lot of old stuff on there, but quite good stuff. So uh, that is Helen McCarthy, A Face Made for Radio at World Press. And that's got a contact email for me on there. And it's got a, a very badly out of date list of stuff that I've done because quite aside from writing about anime and manga, I have also done books on how to draw and books oh, on cool. stitch. And <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Essentially, if you're lucky enough to have the time and the space and the, the, the opportunity, you can sell a book on pretty well everything. You just got to okay. have the patience to keep doing it. Yeah. Right. Okay. Good. Good advice. Yeah. <laughs> so go <laughs> forth and pick up all the books, and uh, yeah, fire ahead. Hey. And she'll be she'll be back on this show because uh, we've got we've got another uh, show host. Well, we need this could, new, bo- uh, new show book. host who couldn't be here um, oh. today, and like he's fascinated by all this stuff. Yeah. So um, well, honestly, not nothing is quite so much fun as talking about books apart from reading books. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. That, that, that's the truth. And and to me, I've never seen the division between manga and books, maybe because, you know, I'd have my head stuck in Shakespeare and my mum would have, to have a head stuck in a historical novel and my dad would have his head stuck in his Commando comics. And we yeah. were all reading. You know, what was the difference? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get reading, people. Yeah, like read more. Buy more comics because comics need support. Buy more books because books need support. If you haven't got any money, go to the public library because, again, a lot of people don't know that every time you check out a book from a public library... The author gets a few pence. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about that all over Britain, the author's few pences can mount up quite a lot. I mean, PLR, public lending right, pays out, I think, twice a year. And there are people who get as much as £10,000 a year on public library loans. And to an author, because the average author income in the UK is under 10K, if you get a few hundred quid off your loans twice a year, it's paying your electricity bill, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so go to libraries; they're good. There you go, folks. Drop some knowledge on you. How's that? And uh, and also, um, as Helen said, go to your local library. Check it out because there's. Um, I, I don't know you, Dan, but like, I used to love popping to a library and then thinking, "Oh my god, there's graphic novels here." <laughs> yeah, God, yes. Yeah. Like, oh my and then god, all the un- other books dis- disappeared, didn't they? All yeah. the other books are like mm, whatever. I oh, say, so look, they've got issue. They've got book seven of the twenty hot run. What yeah. about one and two? Oh, we don't have them. Okay. No. Yeah. Yeah. Be <laughs> fair though. I think last time I went into the the library near me, they had some manga in there. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's more and more um, prevalent, isn't it? Really. Um, certainly, if you go into bookstores, um, the genre is well, just taking over, isn't it? Really. I took that photo of that my local waterstones, and yeah. there were like five, six shelves of manga, and there was one of. Uh, Western, like American stuff, and it's yeah. like, yeah, okay. I have, I have noticed, like, especially in Waterstones near me, for instance, like the board game section is getting bigger, and, yeah, and the sort of manga and Tokyo Pop, etc., that's getting bigger, and like your Marvel, your Marvel and DC graphic novels are sort of in the middle, and it's just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. There's reading the the Paul Gravette manga book. I imagine we might swing around to this uh, a bit later, but I'll, I'll touch on it now. They do something very different. Like the ca- characters and storylines are not evergreen. You'll have like Vince Vince Hunt will come to the publish- publishing house and say, look, I've got a story black. Black runs its course. Vince goes and does something else. Your next mm. story. Black doesn't carry on under different creators. It's not owned by the company. And mm. for me, that's such a better way of doing it. Like small press, you've got an idea for a story. You do your story. 
then you move on to the next one. You don't have to constantly be working on the same thing. Like when I can, I can associate it to Vanguard, when Vanguard's done, I'm going to do something else and I'm not going to go back to that. That's done. Mm. I want to move on to something else. But Spider-Man has to keep coming out. Batman has to keep coming out. And yeah, I, I just feel like you can jump onto a, a, episode one of a new series. And if you know, well, this is going to be a complete story, uh, you, you're more than willing to kind of invest, or at least I am. Yeah, it's interesting like how the publishers um, sort of own the rights for these things. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like Western comics like, oh, you make a comic for us, we own it all. Um, but certainly with manga, there's all of these series that have been running for so long. And then when the creator decides to stop, I mean, in the interview, we talked a bit about how Dragon Ball Z, the creator was like, I've kind of done my bit now. I'm going to take my foot off the pedal. And therefore Naruto and One Piece stepped into the void that Dragon Ball made. You know, it wasn't like, you know, they were just completely just driving that IP into the ground. It's literally those like you get a, a, another lot of hero characters, like mm. Fist of the North Star was the main one, and then he that when that came to an end, step back, and then another one takes. Yeah, before yeah. it's not like everyone thinks, "Oh fuck this, I'm not reading this anymore." They'll go on to the next one if it's up to quality and it's it's up to stuff. And, and which if, and if it you, is. Like, because there's also the adaptions which go hand in hand, um, whether it be the the animation or mm. the live action. Um, that's always based on the books, and then it, it feeds itself because people will see that, and then they'll pick. They go back and pick up the books. It's not like, it's not. There's not a disconnect of. No. There's a movie out. Why is that? Hang on, are they killing off that character when the movie's just about to come out in yeah. two months? What's no. Going on there. There's um. Because yeah. we mentioned it before about the Netflix sort of like feedback loop of people seeing stuff on TV. I certainly, my son got into Demon Slayer. Okay. We was watching stuff before, and then he got into Demon Slayer, and then he just tore through the books. And I watched. I watched season one with him and I watched the film with him and then I thought, oh, I can't really be bothered to watch season two, but he started putting it on and I was hooked. Like the the cliffhangers at the end of every episode were just, really? oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so like in, in there to kill a demon, you've got to kind of chop its head off like Highlander style. And there's like, they're, they're all fighting this one dude. And before, before, before you say anything more, uh, just uh, if you don't want uh, spoilers for oh no I won't spoil what's going to happen but like essentially these blades from either side are about to chop this demon's neck off and then it cuts that's the end of the episode and you're like what and it's like you wait till <laughs> next week till the end. Like, oh my god how's that gonna how's that gonna play out because you know the fact that they've not shown it happening something's gonna happen and that's yeah. just a great way of doing a cliffhanger yeah I love a cliffhanger yes yeah. just so good keep, keep them coming yeah back but um, yeah, it's certainly got over the next uh, few weeks. I say the next few weeks. Um, already been bitten by the bug of yeah. you know different genres and styles and um. Well, we'd be focused because Tony's already dipped way into the well. He's um, has he one. got a hundred days? Is it is it hundred days? He's done it? his old blokes do manga, and he's been doing that on the Never yeah. Iron, and he's been yeah. with been with uh, Amin and uh, yeah. Alan Henderson. Um, yeah. Uh, they're fantastic lessons if you want to go back and they yeah. do that. But we're essentially, we'll be focused firing on manga in March. But I think it's going to be added to our... Uh, what's the word? Uh, our repertoire? Episodes. Yeah, repertoire. Uh, That's uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I, I think we're going to attempt, rather than just going, cool, this one's really cool, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Um, we're going to try and uh, talk a bit more about like 
just whether it be the art styles or the the writing, just a bit more rather than just going, oh, I like it when this bit. Happens. I like this, yeah, I like this, yeah, like that. So, um, yeah, so stay tuned over the next few weeks because mm. it, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be fun, and uh, we've got some uh, guests coming up who who have a bit of knowledge. Because the great thing about this is there's lots of people who know more than us. So <laughs> very lots of them. There, there's loads of them. There's loads of them. But. Um, yeah, it's always great to discover um, more good comics at the end of the day, no matter where they are in the world or what what mm. they are, or who created them. If it's a good comic, then yeah, um, yeah. So stay tuned. But we have a few. We have we've got a couple of shout outs this week. Dan, do you want to go first? Yeah, I've got uh, one that's kind of like more tech based, and it's uh, for the Magic Ooh. Poser app. I'm not sure if you you use that. I use it on. I've been called uh, a Magic Poser, but. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the uh, i use mine on the ipad pro and i usually use it for like if you want to get instead of breaking out the figma figures taking a photo of it or posing it and drawing it mm. it's like a 3d app where you can pose the model and take a screenshot of it and then pop it into procreate and i can draw from it using a reference well there uh it used to be like it was free but you've got certain models and certain things for free other things you had to pay for to use it or like a, a swords or guns or multiple models they're introducing a new feature where you pay uh ten dollar for a lifetime subscription and that gives you full access to all the models all the scenes everything and what a fantastic tool to have in your ipad so if you want to quickly put together a scene see how all the characters work in perspective make that together and then you can export that and use yeah, it as a reference so, so, so you can export that to yeah, export as a JPEG, export as a number of image options. Uh, you could set up a scene and take your JPEG of the scene. If you want to say, right, I want to see what that character's like, and then rotate the scene around, export that again. So you've got that, what that angle looks like, and you can take multiple screen caps of this scene in high res and use it as reference to draw from. So that's a, it's a handy little app. Uh, the... I don't know when the update's going to come into effect. They said it's going to be March, which obviously we're in now. So it could be any day now. But uh, I'm going to be getting on that straight away because it's an app I've used once in a while when I've kind of been struggling for a pose. But if it's going to be like that and you can make scenes, save them, and it, it seems a lot more uh, rounded. So yeah. we'll, I'll give a bit of a review of how, what that's like when it comes out. Uh, other shout-out-wise? Um, yes, Nottingham Comic Convention. It's back mm. this year. Yes. Um, Saturday, the 29th of October, 2022. The Nottingham Conference Centre. Uh, Kev and Cal do a great... They do a great work with this. So anyone who's um, exhibited there in the past will know that it's, it's, it's a fun show. So hopefully this is going to be another smashing one. Um, but go to nottinghamcomiccon.co.uk. Um, you, you see our logo on the um, webpage, but don't hold that against them. <laughs> Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, though, um, it's it's going to be a great show, I'm sure. So stay tuned because um, we'll give you some more details yeah. in the future. Um, Kev uh, does some great little comics and cartoons on Twitter. Yeah, you share Kev Brett. You follow him on that, and they're they're, they're great. Uh, yeah. I don't think they get enough love, so do no. check him out. Yes, uh, <clears throat> I've got one more, Vince. Uh, that comic smell issue two. The comic anthology born from a podcast is back. In this issue, David, Mike, Fernando, and Tom have more collaborations, single creator stories, and guests taking part. 
They have stories like Loki, the Norse got a fire helping a child in need, a certain looking character taken an interest, interesting trip on a bus, a tale of basketball and it's dear, it's a dear friend, look at perspective color. Now Ellie fed up in the magic circle and so much more guest strips from Alan Henderson and Hicks, uh, novelists, uh, including some great one-liners, how things used to be a trip to Xanadu and more 44 pages, uh, black and white uh, with a color inserts and cover. And you can get that from that comic smell, uh, smell, uh, dot big hotel.com. Uh, we put a link in the show notes. Nice. Nice. I said smell like it wasn't the word there and it was <laughs> that comic smell dot big cartel.com. Yeah. Um, just, um, I neglected to mention, um, you can, uh, with Nottingham comic con, you can follow them on Twitter at Nottingham comic. And uh, and also you should also follow at Sam underscore Brett underscore Art. Yes. Um. One another one of the Bretts. He's he's a great kid. And oh my God, is his art. Oh Lord, man, leaps and bounds. Did you see the? Have you seen the Venom one that you posted? In yeah. February? It's fantastic. That's rid- got a lot of likes and retweets. It's very very good. It's ridiculous. <laughs> How good it is. Um. You yeah. put the work in, it pays off. Exactly. And yep. the, the boy's doing really well. I'm yep. very impressed. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll soon be talking about how we hate him because he's uh, he's overtaken. Um, <laughs> I've got an IG88 sketch card. He's got me on the wall over there. Nice. Me. You can't nice. see it because it's an audio, audio medium, but I'm gesturing behind me to the wall. <laughs> Your wall of trophies. <laughs> yes. All, all wigs. Make up, make up, make up your mind what kind of room that Dan is sitting in right now. <laughs> Kind of like maybe one you'd find in that Ed Gein book you talked of last oh week. Oh my god! No, definitely. Oh not. my god! But replace people's faces for posters of yeah, pop culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's not a necklace of nipples. It's a uh, a necklace of uh, convention laminate. The, uh, yes, laminate. lanyards. Yeah, that's the one. Yes. We pulled us off the road there, and then Vince took us back on safely. <laughs> when, when does that ever happen? <laughs> terrible, terrible more than it should yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but anyway um so yeah so check out all those lovely people there's there's gonna be quite a few sort of show notes um this week so be sure to um check out all those lovely people and uh shall we just um now how should we do the recommends dan shall i go first because it kind of ties into sure yeah it's a it's a recommend and maybe um it is a true recommend, I think, for for our lovely listeners who haven't experienced it, and and to basically read along with us over this. Yeah, begin month. the journey. Yes, um, because my recommendation for the lovely people is the Shonen Jump. Subscribing to Shonen Jump. Um, now, I have to firstly give a massive shout out to Sam Webster, who has been <laughs> like he's one of the first people I, I know that was on it. All all the time, you know, he was talking yeah. about yeah, and I just didn't. As Dan said before, just slept on slept it, on it. Yeah. slept on it. But um, for those who don't know, Shonen Shonen Jump is basically um by the company Viz dot com, which is a different kind of Viz than the one that Dan normally preaches about. This <laughs> this is the publishing company. Um, they do they own all of this uh, IP, Dan? Or is it? Uh, uh, I think they're just the publishers. They're on, publishing. The West, yeah. yeah, they're a huge publisher of manga. Um, you would have 
and I I used to remember seeing the Viz name when it came to anime, like in magazines and stuff. Yes, would, yeah. yeah, like bat, like um, Evangelion think, and things like that. Didn't yeah, they, they I think some of the early it? ones. Like I remember, I probably, I'm not sure if you've seen that. Was my the Psychic Girl? I'm pretty sure that was put out by Viz Media back yeah. in the day. Yeah. And that was like one of the, we'll talk about that on one of our later episodes where we do our wrap up of the month, but that was one of my first introductions to manga. Yeah. And basically, basically Shonen Jump um, is essentially the su- subscription service for for viz.com. For want of a better word, that's that's kind of yes. what it is, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it, yeah. Like, for instance, if you go on the website, which is how I did to sub- subscribe to it, it's very simple to do. Um, you, you create a, uh, an account and then you subscribe, and it's like one ninety nine a month. I think I think I've got that right. It's an absolute banger. It is one ninety nine, isn't it? I've got to make sure it's something. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's either one fifty or one ninety nine. It's yeah, so and, silly. Um, and uh, there's a, obviously there's a free trial, um, and they did not pay us for this. I have just literally. I I'm getting this this week, so I recommend that if you want to read along with us, then this is the perfect way to do it. Because certainly the, there's probably going to be a lot of stuff, and I've started a few things um, that I'm going to be talking about, and it's all on this app. And there's free chapters as well. You don't you you get the free ones. You don't have to pay for them, do you? I think I think they're, isn't it? Yeah, I think like there, there's so much in the back catalogue which you just they you get on the subs. But if you want like the super new ones, mm. you have to pay like a nominal fee, or you can just wait and they they drop onto the app. Yeah, they drop onto free. the app. Now, yeah. if you if you're thinking, oh, you know, what is this? Is going to be stuff I don't know. Um, right at the top, My Hero Academia. Yeah, is on there. Um, what other one? Uh, we've got One Punch Man. One Punch. On we've, one series we've been talking about is Kaiju number eight. That's on there. Yeah, Kaiju. That's one of the ones I started, actually. Yeah. Uh, after talking about it. Um, there's One Piece, Bleach. I know. They, and I'm yeah. I'm just picking names that I've heard of before that are on this. But um, I'm... There's a lot of, lot of One Piece to read. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of One Piece yeah. to read. Oh, well, and, of course, My Hero Academia. And it's got it in... An, you basically read Nick like chapters, which is what they yeah. call, call the issues. I'm, I'm hmm. presuming. But for instance, My Hero Academia, the latest is chapter three hundred forty-six. Um, so it'll go, take you a bit of time to get through that. that. Yeah, but there's also there's tons of there's tons of different genres. Lots of, I mean, I just mentioned Bleach. I was just scrolling down. I saw Bleach. That one's on chapter six hundred eighty-six. Yeah. Whew. See, I know absolutely nothing about Bleach except that it's. There's sword fighting yeah. and some samurais in it. Yeah, they, uh, maybe I should try a few volumes and cure that. Yeah, Dragon that. Ball, Naruto. Basically, there's if you want, if you thought, oh, I wonder what that that's all about. I've heard lots of people talking about it, which is pretty much our experience. We hear so much about these things. Um, then Shonen Jump is a great. It's going to be perfect to start from day one. Yeah because um, it works pretty much I mean I haven't used it on the iPad yet I've just been using the web browser what is it like on the iPad though? fantastic brilliant it's absolutely quality because you're reading the you're reading the full pages aren't you yeah it's full pages yeah. there's not a guided view but to be honest you, you can get away with it yeah you don't quite easily yeah what was yeah. that when I started reading on there the other day and I recommended it it's about the guy who's a bit of a second fiddle to his brother and his brother dies and comes back in like the, the super suit that he has to wear that that was that was an interesting premise. I can't remember it. There's so many fantastic yeah. premises. Um yeah, so literally like sign up for this because it's it's not gonna like I say is a is a is a free trial for it. 
um, and it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. Um, I, I'm because I'm I'm stepping away from digital purchases for one of better, even though this is a digital purchase before yeah. it jumps on my back. <laughs> well, um, I've marked in our calendars four yeah. weeks, four episodes from the day we kind of like dunked on comicsology. We didn't really dunk on him. We were just telling as it was, yeah. and we're gonna have. Well, I think we should revisit it. Yeah. and see what, yeah. what's going I on. I posted recently that I just popped my head in, had a look and thought, nah, mate, I'm out. And, yeah. and, um, and it was quite interesting that a couple of people sort of struck up a conversation with me talking about yeah. it. It's, it's completely show. gone from my mind. I just yeah. don't consider it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this, I think this is going to be, um, especially for this month, this is going to be a, my go-to, especially as it's quick and easy and you can just... Yeah. And a lot, a lot of these um, comics... That, they're designed in a certain way, aren't they? With like quick reads and yeah, there's as you'll find a manga manga, or if you don't already know, there's lots of kind of like flick stuff. Like it's yeah, not text heavy. There's quite a lot of ways like actions yeah. moving, moving, moving. Yeah, uh, it's interesting that the Paul Gravette book saying like it's almost like they were designed to be read between stops on a train on a commute because that's what a lot of people would read them on. Yeah. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so head over to viz.com, get the Shonen Jump app, um, and just discover more about them anyway, and then oh. go forth. It'll just, basically, um, it'll get you started, then you'll head into your bookstores or whatever, and then be picking up volumes and volumes of these uh, fantastic books. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. There's also a Zelda one on here. Have you seen well, that? Well, okay. No, I've not seen that. Legend of Zelda. I've got the uh, original Star Wars uh, New Hope that was done as a manga and released over here by Dark Horse. That's an interesting read. Really? Had, yeah, Adam, I think it was, not Adam Hughes, who's that guy that did, I have to look it up now. The, the guy who, he was like a Western artist who'd done uh, Adam Warren. Is that the right one? Yes, Adam Warren, the, yeah. A Dirty yeah. Pair, yeah. He yeah, did Dirty like Pair, yeah, I remember yeah. them. Yeah. That's still going strong. Is Dirty Pair still going strong? I yeah, I'm sure he's still putting, they're still putting Sank out. Maybe it's not Dave, but he's still he's still going strong. No, he's doing that other one. Hmm. What's the other series he did? M something. E M. Oh, fucking hell! Someone's screaming at their device now. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that that's still going strong. Yeah. Um, one thing before we uh, move on to Dan's recommendation, which I'm looking forward to him talking about, because um, we did talk about it a little bit before we start recording, um, is if you're thinking, oh, you know, I don't care about these nest- these titles that you've been talking about. Um, I like this particular genre. Well, they have a, a great sort of, a very clear list of, it, they call it Explore by Interest. So here, here's the list of what they've got. They've got action, adventure, comedy, drama, dystopian, family, fantasy, horror, LGBT, martial arts, mystery, romance, school life, science fiction, sports, supernatural, and thriller. So you're pretty much covered. I think that covers everything. Apart from uh, cooking. Cooking. There must be a cooking book on there, though. Yeah. Got to be. There's definitely a cooking book. I'm not sure it's on there, though. Yeah. But yes... So there's mine. So Dan, what what are you? My uh, one, we've talked about it a little bit before in the the circle, the inner circle, as it were, and it's <laughs> Wallman by a, a creator called Bocchi, B O I C H I. Bocchi, Bocchi. This is Wallman. Wallman, as in a wall that holds up your house, <laughs> four of them in a room. Uh, Wallman, one word. 
<clears throat> and uh, the reason for that will be, uh, I'll tell you in a second. Butch is a, the pen name used by Mujik Park. He's a South Korean comic creator and manga artist who lives in Japan. And did you know this, Vince, that uh, a, a comic creator in Korea is called a manhwa? I which did is not. A, a, a Korean. It's just, it's just a, a translation of a comic artist creator. Uh, and this guy, I'm just looking through some of his Japanese works. There's at least two dozen and at least another dozen Korean works. So he's no slouch. He's, as with all these guys and gals, they fucking put it out. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. the, the work is just something else. Uh, to call well, the various different genres of man- manga, this is called uh, definitely under a senin, senin, S-E-I-N-E-N. And that's essentially aimed at young men and sort of teenage boys, uh, which this one covers quite well, I would say, uh, because it's got uh, sex and vi- not so much sex, but titillation and violence in uh, a high quantity. <laughs> but <clears throat> first off, the artwork in this, damn, right, we'll come back to it. I'll tell you the, 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 the premise. Yeah. After being betrayed by his country, Jiru leaves his past as a hitman behind and comes back uh, home to Japan. Burnt out without a real reason to go on, Juru lets his life slip away from uh, beneath him. That's where he meets Nami, an assassin seeking vengeance for her father's death. But not just any assassin, a woman, a specialised hitman using high-tech body suits to repel down and free-run down buildings to surprise her targets. In his day, Juru is a master woman, and it isn't long before he's called back into action, teaming up with Nami to bring her father's killers to justice. Uh, so essentially, these, these guys, they kind of got these suits that have you like kind of like a winding mechanism, like cogs on them. So they can kind of hook themselves up and run down buildings, jump down buildings. And this is shown in the art where they're throwing themselves off of buildings, flipping around. And the artwork is just fucking something else. There's one scene in issue one where the, the Nami character throws herself out. And it's like the camera follows from looking up at her towards when she's directly parallel to you and then down in like a kind of a fisheye lens over three panels, three pages, as you kind of follow off, go straight past you and down the building. And it's, it's very cinematic. And I know a lot of people don't like that kind of stuff. I, I think it's fantastic, phenomenal. I think it's uh, had an influence on my kind of work uh, growing up. I've tried to steer away from it, but honestly, I'm like, why? Why? Because I, I love it. So why try and keep to this kind of puritanical, more... I don't know, Western style. I don't know. Mm. But uh, yeah, artwork is fantastic. Like the, the, the characters, the renditions, everything's just spot on. This guy came up to my attention only a couple of weeks ago when someone like mentioned to him, so why isn't he drawing like Bocce? Have you seen Bocce? And I looked at him and I said, Jesus Christ. So I looked up Woolman and I can't seem to get a, a paper copy of it anywhere. Like I think it, it the print, whoever had the rights to print the Western version, uh, their the rights to it's gone or expired because I, I mm. don't think anyone's I could be wrong I can't find anything on my digging around on the net uh, <clears throat> the story on this is really lackluster it's really, really just yeah and I'm not sure if there's because this the one I was reading was a fan translation and I'm not sure if it's the fan translation or the cultural differences that I'm not picking up on, but it's just like, this is just weird. I don't really understand any of the motives of why people are doing stuff. And it just seems bizarre. I, I don't really get it. And it's like, if this art was teamed up with like some great writing, 
mm-hmm. say Warren Ellis or Frank Miller or just any halfway deep right they do have like an absolute fucking banger on your hands but uh the, the story starts with him he's kind of like the Juru guy he's, he's got a flatmate and they're kind of bumming around he's got a bit of a gut on him he's not kind of training anymore and this Nami turns up who's like uh I think she's like 18 years old and from the moment she's in the comic it's just titillation she's virtually wearing nothing throughout yeah there's some and, and the artwork's pretty phenomenal on yeah. some spreads um uh, but I must, I must say like there's some poses where i think oh really it's just pure titillation yeah. sex. and i know you're going for that for the audience but it's, yeah the, the i mean the, i mean there's fucking, a, there's a massive audience for this yeah the foot is fucking down on the fucking accelerator like this it's just we're <laughs> just going for it yeah. Uh, any chance they can, like there's like her wearing next to nothing or seeing the contours of every part of her body through what she's dressed as, and uh, es- essentially, like the uh, the main character Jura goes through like right, I'm going to get back into this, uh, kicks a load of ass, and then he goes like gets back into training, and then within like a page, he's gone from this kind of schlubby dude with a bit of a gut on him to like a fucking jacked like Olympian. <laughs> And that they're off. Uh, it didn't surprise me when I was reading up a little about uh, the creators. He's done like some hentai work in the past, and I was like, that wasn't too surprising. Uh, but if the kind of the yeah the, the if you're going to read this, like <laughs> be forewarned, it's kind of a bit uh, insensitive, or maybe I'd say the word. Right. I think that might be uh, that, that's the way to put it. You kind of have to take it for what it is, and. Uh, I don't know really what to say from it beyond that, but if you're kind of read, prepared to go into it, right, this is what it is, like, and just go along with it. I, I read up to about seven or eight chapters of it, and I was like, whatever this has to me, that's enough. I've kind of... Yeah. Uh, I, I would like to still look... I'm probably going to look for it just for kind of the artwork and see, like, some nice spreads and stuff. I've sent some on to uh, Vince and Tony. Mm-hmm. There's one where they, they they go on this hit, the first hit together, uh, the t- Nami and Juru, and they're, like, jumping off the top of a tab block and you get this vista over Tokyo I think they are yeah and it's hand drawn but it almost looks like it's uh, impressionistic of a photo it's just could it could well have been a photo they've worked from but uh, it's just you can't beat the, the 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 background work of these guys and girls yeah it's just phenomenal just puts you in the puts you in where you are and you just you just feel part of it yeah so yeah for this one you just have to go online if you just search wall man one word a manga it'll pop up there'll be a dozen sites where you can read it on yeah. uh, if you find you know somewhere to get it in print uh, and a legitimate way to read it i'm all this there you go so um go forth people go um discover some uh, books and let us know yeah. your thoughts about the genre and um apart what do you from, recommend what do you recommend off the beaten path you know there's mm. um certainly there's books of all kinds of all genres etc um certainly we talked about a few in the interview that um, yeah. are, are very fascinating um but let us know which ones to keep an eye out for or to give a try because you know we'll read anything on this show mm. uh, you know i know we uh i think so, we uh, personally i'm looking for more kind of like the, the kent state of mangas do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. The kind of the more serious takes. Yeah. Because the, the 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 other stuff it seems to be relatively easy to kind of get hold of and recommends. But yeah. anything you think we're sleeping on, and you'd recommend. But yeah, please let us know. Yes, and there's several different ways you can get in touch with us. You can email yes. us awesomecomicspod at gmail dot com. 
Um, likewise, if you've got any um, stuff you want us to shout out in the breaks, etc., then please let us know. Follow us on Twitter at the Awesome Pod, where we'll be um, probably posting. Up. Well, should we do some polls this month over the month? Like, see what, see what. Oh the, hell yeah, yeah, yeah! The yeah. listeners and the social media people think of different genres and different styles of books, and and may, maybe do some what? people that think a certain title is overrated or not. Yeah. Mm. Maybe do you read manga? Do you like manga? Do you hate manga? Uh, yeah, yes. you know so, any, so, something, something really generic. Yeah. Do you like food? <laughs> uh, <laughs> they get the most responses. Yeah, they do. They do. Um, yeah. So follow us on uh, at the Awesome Pod. If you do uh, Facebook, go to facebook.com slash Awesome Comics Podcast. Join the community group Awesome Comics Talk on Facebook, and also join the Awesome Comics Podcast Slack group, uh, Slack channel. Is it a channel mm. or is it a group? And then lots group, of and then you got channels within. You got different channels, and there's lots of different channels such as Dan. Uh, God, we've got film, TV, uh, got artwork, feedback, looking for collaboration. We've got like a sales channel where you can sell on books. Got a, a pound shop where uh, you sell on super cheap books. You can swap books on there. You can talk about comics. You can. God, there's loads of stuff. There you go. I'm on it every day. There's so much there that I almost told Dan. That's enough, Dan. You can stop talking now. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even cover half of it. There's loads more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for listening to us this week, whether it be on the website, awesomecomics.podbean.com. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe and leave a review. Helps get the word out about the show, what we're talking about every, every week, and uh, and just spreading the knowledge of comics. Um but we really do appreciate it, guys, no matter where, you, where yes. or when you heard us. Um, and where, whatever network it was, such as Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, Podnose, Podknife. What other networks are we on, Dan? I can know. I don't know. I can't do the Tony routine. He's much better at it. I gave you a long enough lead-in then. But yeah, so I just totally fucked that. You biffed it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely stacked it. Yeah. Um, but if you listen to us there, uh, then thank you very much. <laughs> Biftit.com. <laughs> Biftit. The Biftit Network. Um, <laughs> no, but seriously, um, no matter where you uh, listen to the show, we really, really appreciate it. Um, where can people find us online, etc.? Dan? Well, you can find me, uh, you can read Vanguard at VanguardComic.com. You can find me on Twitter at VanguardComic and uh, the Vanguard Patron, which is going strong uh, as soon as i get some news about what's happening with viper i'll post it on there first if you want to catch up with uh, tony you can do so on his website neveronanything.com that's uh, the patron which is patron.com forward slash tribute press it's at tribute press on twitter and on instagram yes so go, go check out hank fur go, yes that's, i love that book absolutely love that book I, I, by 4p I, yeah yeah i think it might be my favorite tribute one so far oh fantastic yeah um there you go <laughs> and you can't... vince oh me just find me little in a old di- you find me in a ditch somewhere covered in someone else's blood that's where i usually am <laughs> someone else's blood oh, oh always well i'm not a savage i'm not a savage damn what do you think i am <laughs> do you think i'm some kind of monster <laughs> um no you can find me on social media at jester diablo and uh yes thank you very much for listening folks it's gonna be a fun month so um yeah from everyone here at ACP Towers. And thank you again to the guest, Helen, for joining us this week. What an absolute legend. She'll be back again. And uh, from Dan, <clears throat> the absent Tony, and myself, have a brilliant week, no matter where you are in the world. 
we hope you're doing okay and happy and healthy. Uh, isn't that right, Dan? Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, we all love you very much. So go forth, read loads of comics. And as always, oh, I always forget this bit. What should they do now? Stay awesome. <laughs> zing, zing. I couldn't <laughs> think of another way to say goodbye. Bye, everyone. See you later. And then you fall in, and I go, Tony, what's happening? And it's just going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fucking hell. But uh, yeah, they don't always get my crude jokes, Helen. Um, but there you go. Well, the, the thing is that not, not everyone does, though, Tony. That's the. It's a good way to get the wheat from the chaff, my friend. Yeah. You know it. <laughs> it's not a day to be unkind to him. Come on. <laughs> yes, Helen's the best guess we've had. Proving you bully me. <laughs> oh dear, right. I'll have to put this at the end of the show.